Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. Happy New Year, Everything College Basketball family. Welcome to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 128. And it's a new year, but I'm still your host, Josh Burton, and joining me yet again for another year and another episode, my teammates, Peyton Burton, Phil Dexter. Fellas, we are in 2023. Don't seem real. Uh, No, it does not. But 2022 was a great year for everything college basketball, and 2023 is going to be even bigger. I can promise you that. Yeah, happy to happy to ring in my first uh, New Year's with you guys. I think it was just after uh, the New Year last year that I uh, I hopped on on a random Sunday afternoon with you, Josh, and the rest is fucking history. So yeah, happy we're to uh, with- we're get, we're getting getting close to our anniversary. What are you gonna get me? I know, man. Hey, I got something special on playing. I can't reveal it yet, but uh, yeah, we're almost to your year anniversary, which is fun. Hey, and speaking of New Year, fellas. I'm off work today. My dumbass went into my day job thinking I was supposed to work. Got there. Um, nobody's there, so I'm off for another day. And in celebration for that and a new year of everything college basketball and a brand new year across the world, here's to 2023. Can of ice cold Miller Lite for you. Cheers. Um, I'm guy myself, but... Uh, I, I, the only beer I really don't care for is Bud Light. I'll drink whatever. And the only reason I got Miller Lite opposed to Heineken the other night is because they had the six-pack on sale. That's the only reason I got the six-pack of Miller. Um, Honestly, but, I'm the same way. Honestly, beers taste like shit. <laughs> um, I'd be remiss, though, fellas, if I didn't mention that this podcast – as it has been all year, is presented by House Enterprise and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our website, house-enterprise.com, for more information. And on top of that, our, we got to shout out our title sponsor, VCB, if Peyton would stop making big gulping noises in my ear. Go uh, yourself. I'll <laughs> a couple sips. Well, mute your fucking mic. Um, our, our title sponsor this year of everything college basketball is Beauty to Beast Nutrition. Of course, Beauty to Beast Nutrition is a... Healthy Juice Bar located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. Stop in. It's a brand new year, brand new you. You're doing the healthy bit. No better place to go than Beauty to Beast Nutrition for all your healthy skinny shot teas, your protein coffees, and everything in between. Tell them the ECB sent you for 10% off your entire purchase. 2022, when we started this promotion, man, we have had so many people. I know firsthand that stop in on a daily and a weekly basis telling them ECB sent them save them 10% off their entire purchases. They love the deals. Beauty to Beast loves the, the sponsorship. We love the partnership. So it's a good deal. Let's continue this in 2023. Now that all the housekeeping is out of the way, fellas, again, 2023. And how about we started, basically started, no, actually we did, January 1st. We started the new year off right with our Green Bay Packers Taking down the Minnesota Vikings, fellas, we've said it for weeks now. Once Green Bay got that win over Chicago, do not fuck around and let the Green Bay Packers get hot and get in the playoffs. And since then, we have steamrolled teams. The defense, well, the Minnesota and trash minutes we did. But basically, the defense in the last four games has not given up a second-half touchdown. I'm not counting the trash minutes the other day. 
But Green Bay's hot, and we control our destiny going in next week. A home rematch against the Detroit Lions. We win, and we're in, baby. It's going to be 2010 all over again. And uh, just to add on that, shout out to the best cornerback in the league, Jair Alexander, former Louisville player, locked up Justin Jefferson. And I love Justin Jefferson, too, as an LSU fan. He was on that national title score back in 2019. But he's on the wrong team. He needs to be. He needs to go somewhere else. That way I can root for him again. But Jair Alexander locked his fucking ass down. Shout out to him. Let's go. Yeah, let's fucking go. And then Justin Jefferson shut down his social media after the game like a little bitch boy just like that little bitch boy uh zadarius smith didn't want to shake hands before or after the game yeah, so, well, they loved it they loved it to say about it yeah they loved it week one when they're they're beating us down we showed them what a real beat down is and i love the fact the defense was flying to the ball they we made changes we're getting after the quarterback now we're more aggressive i think we've got what 12 turnovers in the last four games 12 takeaways just defense is flying to the ball. We're running the ball. The receivers are making big, timely plays, and Rodgers is getting a little swagger back. His numbers are down, but he's – I'm telling you, do not fuck around and let Green Bay in the playoffs. I promise you. Yeah. Uh, Thank God we got rid of Amari Rodgers and let Dixon start. Oh, my God. He took that one to that house, 104 yards or whatever 105. It was. 105. 105. Took it Kays- to the house. Kayshawn Nixon to the hizzy. I mean, he might be the best returner in the game right now. I mean, I'm just saying. But um, let's switch our focus back to the college basketball landscape, which is what we're here for. Fellas, Peyton and I were at the game Thursday night. In Bellarmine for the big uh, A-Sun clash between Bellarmine and Liberty. And it was a joy. We got to sit next to Rick Bozich, the longtime sports writer for Louisville Sports, covers Kentucky basketball, some Indiana hoops been doing this for decades he was so kind to us a big shout out to rick bozich for treating us so nicely he took us to the media room sat with us introduced us to people shout out to all of the bellerman staff i mean from the lady at the front door we went in the wrong entrance way she walked us back to get our media passes everybody was so kind coach davenport's our guy we joke with him that he's our basketball uncle now took time after the press conference with us to chat us up put over our show just a great experience, but Peyton, to see Darius McGee in person, live and in living color, I said it, I posted in our Facebook group, I think I posted on Twitter too, and I told you guys in private, I think Darius McGee might be my favorite person in college basketball to watch. Yeah, um, he's up there for me as well, uh, because he plays just so hard, and he's just an extreme talent. I mean, some of those shots he was hitting in this game, it looked very easy to he came very easy to him. I mean, I was there doing a scouting report on him, uh, just basically him myself. And um, a lot of things I've noticed is that he's very Carson Edwards alike. Um, I see a lot of Carson Edwards in his game, the way he gets off ball screens, the way he controls the tempo of the game, and especially how quick he gets off his jumper. I mean, he Get catches the, the ball. He catches the ball. And I think Coach Davenport talked about it in the press conference. He shoots 55% off the catch and like 28% off the dribble. And that's an incredible stat. So he's a superstar. And he hit that fucking – he hit two ridiculous shots in this game that probably should have been on sports center. I don't know if it was or not. The first half, he shot it to the top of the Freedom Hall, nothing in net with the shot clock winding down. Second half, pretty close to where we were setting that in the press seating. 
on the media row. He catches the ball coming from the right to the left. Has to shoot a left-handed, nothing but net. I mean, come on now. Phil, he hit eight threes, and I swear to God, I don't think any of the shots touched the rim. Just all net. Yeah, I believe he hit eight threes. I'm not sure that he had a two-pointer in this game, to be honest. I think all of his points were from threes. But, uh, you know, we've all loved Darius McGee for a long time. You know, going back to last season, he's kind of Steph Curry light almost from what you've seen Steph Curry do at Davidson. Um, huge fan. Uh, super excited that you guys got to see him in person. Um, as we all know, you know, it's it's one thing to watch these guys on TV, but it's, it's a completely another thing to see him in person just draining these crazy shots or throwing down awesome dunks. So happy for you guys. And he can go off. Like, he missed his first four or five shots. Didn't bother him. Didn't force shots. Just continue to play throughout the offense. And just, boom, before you know it, he's got 12 points. And then before you know it, he's got 24. You're like, Jesus Christ. So, great atmosphere. Shout out Bellarmine. Definitely a place to go back to. The whole staff at Bellarmine is incredible. Rick Bozich is our guy. Incredible. We're working to get him on the show. He said he would. We just got to find time. So, it's exciting for that. Couple bits of news before we get into some reviews from last week's action. Now, apparently this is an old story. It happened at the beginning of college basketball. It just came across my radar this morning, actually, of all things on a TikTok. Explain it. I'm going to leave player names out. You can look it up, but it's a crazy story, and I'm going to sum it up real quick. Basically, this kid from Coppin State on scholarship starts talking to a catfish girl that turns out to be one of his assistant coaches. This assistant coach created a fake woman profile, catfished this dude on scholarship, got him to send nudes to her because he thought it was a real girl. Then blackmails him that saying, cause he was wanting to end it, blackmails this player and says that I will release everything if you don't continue send me nudes. Well, he doesn't want to lose the scholarship. He can send, it continues to send the nudes. Then it, trend or it, it goes further this assistant coach comes to this player to practice one day and says he's getting catfished by the same girl and that she's threatening to reveal this information and out them both if they don't have gay sex together so the player reluctantly goes along with it and then he wants to put an end to it and this girl which again the assistant coach says i'm going to out you he said i don't care so they release all this information the uh, Juan Dixon is the head coach, knows about this, basically, from what I understand, doesn't do much about it because he knew he hired an assistant coach who has mental issues anyways. Long story short, this dude loses a scholarship because of this, transfers, goes elsewhere. Now there's a legal document. Like I said, this happened apparently at the beginning of November. It just came across my radar. You can Google the story yourself. Just type in Coppin State Basketball. It'll be one of the first stories you see. It is wild, wild stuff going on right now. Three words. What the fuck? That's Man, all I got to say. Coppin State is involved in all the weird stories. You got this one. You got the fucking replacement random officials last week. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on over there at Coppin State, but I don't know. I think somebody needs to get to the bottom of something. That's, I mean, just insane. You got to feel bad for the kid. I mean, Crazy scenario, like I said, it just came across my radar by all things TikTok today, but um, I, it's something to keep an eye on going forward. Hey, let's talk before we get into anything else. Um, it's been a few weeks. Let's talk about the new net rankings, and for the first time, brand new year, let's talk finally some bracketology. New net rankings updated as January 1st, uh, back on Sunday. 
Houston, number one, UConn, two, Tennessee, three, Purdue, four, Arizona, five. Looking at these, hey, how about Florida Atlantic staying in the top 15? They are 11th in net rankings. So that means teams in the Conference USA have a chance at a big-time, apparently, quad one victory beating Florida Atlantic. Uh, you look at Indiana's down to 19th. you got Duke, 17. Kentucky is 41st in net rankings right now. Illinois is 39th. Uh, anything in these net rankings besides Florida Atlantic stand out to you guys? Uh, St. Mary's at number 14. I think a lot of people, you know, they're 12 and four. I think a lot of people are just looking at the record and saying that's not good enough considering, you know, they haven't played maybe the highest level of competition. But if you look at their schedule, there's they haven't played a bad schedule at all. I mean, they've played a lot of like in between 50 and 150 Ken Palm teams, um, and they're handling their business against the teams they should beat. They had a good win against Vanderbilt earlier in the year. Um, I really like St. Mary's. They're not going to challenge Gonzaga for the West Coast Conference by any means, but I would say pretty close to a lock for the tournament in my eyes. Are they, though? Because Gonzaga, yes, they beat up, who was it, Pepperdine the other day, but they gave up like 88 points to Pepperdine. You don't think St. Mary's can't split that series again this year? I mean, I think St. Mary's can split. I just don't think that St. Mary's can necessarily go through. I mean, Gonzaga is going to go through conference play with maybe the one loss to St. Mary's, where St. Mary's is going to probably lose a game to Gonzaga. And then you have to imagine maybe slip up against somebody else. You know, you mentioned Pepperdine, not necessarily on the national radar, but they have Maxwell Lewis, who's a fucking lottery pick, like a legitimate lottery pick. So Pepperdine can beat you on any given night. Um, you know, Portland has been good. The WCC has a little bit of depth. Um, I, th I think a lot of people underrate it because, you know, they've always looked at Gonzaga as the one team that, you know, runs through it every year. But there's there's four or five solid teams in the WCC. Yeah, and it all depends on what Portland we get. If we get the Portland out in the PK-85, the one that challenged North Carolina, Michigan State, and those, then, yeah, they, they can be a real problem. But are we going to get the Portland that plays down the competition? I think that's a big thing with them. Hey, how about a couple more currently quad one victories if you were to beat them right now oral roberts 43 james madison 44 which our guy brian ralph was shouting out the uh, last episode southern miss they're 10 and 2 they're 46 in net ranking charles the college then obviously we're going to talk about them here a little bit 49th iona 50 so how about some of the mid-major teams currently quad one victories if you knock them off well and then Sam Houston State, 25th. I mean, yeah. and they were at one point, I think, like 7th or 8th um, and might have been the first net ranking. But I think we're still seeing, you know, the net rankings a little bit skewed. But I love seeing, you know, these mid-major teams up there. It'll be interesting. You know, Oral Roberts, like we talked about Darius McGee, they kind of have their own Steph Curry light and Max Max Asmus. Um, they're they're going to, you know, challenge anybody in the tournament. So, It'll be interesting to see if these teams can stay higher in the net, but I do think they're teams to keep an eye on come tournament time. Yeah, where's would you say Oral Roberts were again? I think they're forty third. If I just looked at it right, yep, forty third. Forty third, yeah. Why are they ranked so damn high? I mean, let's go I mean, look they, at their. Uh, they played Houston. They played St. Mary's. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean. Played Central Arkansas, played fucking I think it just, Nebraska, uh, Omaha, Denver. I mean, but, I but but you got to keep in mind, this isn't strictly strength of schedule either. It's about how you're beating teams, where they're played at. There's a whole bunch of variables that go into this besides just who you play. 
there's a lot that goes into this. And I mean, if you look at it, so they only lose by eight points on the road at St. Mary's. That's not a bad loss at all. A true road game. They have a 10-point loss on the road at Utah State. Again, not a bad loss at all. Their other losses to Houston. And then, yeah, they don't have any great wins, but I mean, they beat Liberty by 14. They go to Tulsa and win by 11. Um, They beat South Dakota State by 39. So, like you said, Josh, they've been handling their business against the, you know, really bottom level teams and then against you know some of the teams at their level like a liberty you know to win by 14 points is pretty impressive yeah and and again you got to keep in mind that the net ranking didn't strictly replace the rpi which took a lot of strength of schedule into it it goes by a lot of variables you're winning how much you win by where you play at what their rank it like it takes everything into consideration so Beating teams like Liberty by 10 and other teams by 39 and playing other good teams like you mentioned, Utah State, Houston, St. Mary's, to fairly close games, you can actually, in the net ranking, you can lose a game and bump up in the rankings. We see it all the time. And and not a mid-major team, but just somebody that looking at this is kind of interesting. Texas Tech, who's ranked just ahead of Oral Roberts, doesn't have a single win outside of quad four right now. That's unbelievable. That is crazy. I wonder, damn, that is crazy. They're, um, they're 10 and 3 overall, 10 and 0 against quad four. Wow. Wow, that's a, that's crazy. Um, I mentioned bracketology. We haven't done one to start the year. There's been no point, but since we've turned the calendar, we're officially in conference play for every team, which games are going to be good from here on out. Let's take a look at our first uh, bracketology of the year. Of course, we're using Joe Lenardi's, which is probably if not the best, one of the top two in the whole land of doing this from ESPN. You currently look at the one seed. You got Purdue, the overall one, playing in the Louisville region. Arizona out west as a one. UConn, one in the east. And the other one seed is Kansas in the Midwest. Any gripes currently as we sit here today with those one seeds? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I don't see how Houston isn't one of the four. I, they, they've done consistently everything they've been supposed to do so far. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know they have a loss, but... They, you know, they handled their business against Virginia. Um, I, I would say I would have Houston probably ahead of Kansas, but. Well, they, listen to this bracket. I'm glad you mentioned Houston. Again, theoretical, this is going to change 100 million times between March and now. That one out in Arizona, the Arizona region out west in Las Vegas. Arizona, the one. Houston, the two. Texas, three. North Carolina, four. Kentucky, five. Auburn six, Illinois seven, and then other teams. The eight nine is Marquette, Kansas State. You've got Utah State or Rutgers potentially in that in a play-in game. Arizona State against Illinois, Longwood against Houston. We know how good the Lancers are in Longwood. That would by far, if this was the real deal, Holyfield brackets, that would have to be group of death. There's no way around it. What in the world has UNC done to be a four seed? At this point, besides start yeah, the year number the one overall, or like besides starting the year ranked number one, they have done nothing. I'm not saying they shouldn't be a tournament team, but like maybe a six or a seven, maybe like to have them a four right now to me is absolutely insane. Yeah, well, this this is again, you reward a team for a one seed, and I I understand every bracket's going to have its challenges. But imagine you're Arizona and you get this one seed, and you got to deal with all these teams. Like your second round matchups either going to be Marquette or Kansas State. 
then potentially in the Sweet 16, you're going to either get Kentucky, Texas Tech, Iowa, or North Carolina. And I know Kentucky, North Carolina has struggled to start the year. But again, these teams have enough talent to make runs in March. And then you could even from the bottom half get Houston, Illinois, Texas, Auburn. Like, that's freaking brutal. That is brutal. I do think something that, like, once we get more into, you know, bracketology season, something we're going to notice, though, is that, like, there's so much parity in college basketball this year that I think just about any bracket is honestly going to look brutal when you look at it because there's, like, you know, every week when we do the top 25, I don't know about you guys, but once I get down to, like, number 12, there's there's probably 30 teams that you could rank in between 12 and 25th and not be out of the realm of possibility. Like, Completely there's agree. so many good teams. Yeah, you can just throw them in a hat and just draw them out, and whoever gets drawn that spot, basically, because they're all. And I say good teams, but I guess there's a lot of good teams, but a lot of teams that have shown inconsistency as well. You know, we've seen everybody. There's not a team this season that doesn't have a significant weakness. Completely agree. And for our Indiana folks, currently you stand in bracketology as a five seed, and this would be, in my opinion, the worst possible draw if this was real, because as a five seed. Indiana hangs their hat defensively, but man, you would be in such a tough bracket. It, UConn's your one. You don't match up well with UConn. The 8-9 is TCU-San Diego State. Not great matchups for you either. As a five, you get by Sam Houston. You would more than likely play a four Virginia. Not a great matchup. You also have Baylor as the three. You have Virginia Tech uh, and uh, Creighton as 7-10, and Tennessee's the two seat. That is probably just about as bad as bracket as an IU fan could hope for if this was real life. How is Virginia a four seed, first yeah. of all? And then I forget who you said the six seed was. Uh, the, the, um, Maryland. Maryland. It's Maryland. Okay, yeah. Like, I don't. I, I already mentioned how UNC being a four is crazy, but UNC and Virginia don't even have comparable, like, resumes right now. That's, I don't know. I, I have a few issues with these seedings. Yeah, and, and I do too, but also keep in mind we're talking January 2nd. Um, in that Kansas region, Peyton, you got Kansas the one. Not, well, I don't know how that would work because they got Iowa State as the eight. So I don't know exactly yeah, how that how would work. That work. But you'd have Duke as the four, Wisconsin the five. You got Gonzaga three, Alabama two. I mean, not the roughest for Kansas, but probably don't want to match up with either Gonzaga or Duke right away. Yeah, oh, a couple of these teams we've already beat. Like, we've already beat Wisconsin. We've already beat Duke, uh, which, if we play them a second time, could be tricky. But, you know, I actually like this region. Um, I don't understand why Iowa State is our eight seed because that's Big 12, and I don't think you can do that. Uh, play a Big 12 team or a conference team in the second round, but we'll see about that. Uh, Memphis is a team in this region that – Memphis and Penn State, that first-round matchup between Memphis and Penn State. That would be a lot very, of fun. Very interesting. And the Gonzaga Liberty, we just mentioned Darius McGee, see how well he can play against Gonzaga when they don't get out and defend at all. Well, that could think be about, tricky for them as well. That's a great point. Think about this theoretical matchup, Phil. Gonzaga doesn't guard great right now. And Liberty is one of those teams that can hit a bunch of shots, and they we've seen it firsthand. They will slow the game down. Can Gonzaga, if they go down, let's say theoretically in this matchup at 314, Liberty with under eight minutes to go is up like 10 points. We know Gonzaga can obviously go in spurts, but could they lock into defensively enough to stop Darius McGee and company? Because Liberty is going to take the air out of the ball. 
Yeah, that would definitely be a tough... I mean, I think Liberty, like I mentioned earlier, is kind of going to be a tough matchup for anybody. You know, it's one of those things where you get to the tournament and you want to have the best player on the floor, and Darius McGee is going to arguably be the best player on any floor that he plays on. Um, I do think that just, you know, those those smaller teams, you know, we always mention that size and physicality is what gives Timmy problems. I think Timmy probably just takes that game over at a certain point. Um, you know, like he had 22 points in the first half the other night against Pepperdine, that kind of deal. But like I guess I think Liberty could absolutely knock anybody off in the country. Yeah. And then the, you look at conference breakdown. I mean, we are, I think we all agree that the Big 12 currently is the best conference. But the Big 10 in this has the most teams, 10 teams. Big 12, 9, SEC, 7, ACC, 5, Big East, 4, Pac 12, 3, Mountain West, 3, WCC, 2, and the American, 2. Now, again, I think there's a lot of misconception, and I understand where it comes from. We say it every March when we break down the tournament. Just because a conference gets so many teams in doesn't necessarily mean they're the best conference. And I know that can be counterproductive. But if you look on paper, you look at the results, the Big 12, every team in the conference as we sit here on January 2nd, all 10 teams are ranked inside the top 40 in Ken Palm. All the teams. So you're telling me I don't give a shit the Big 10 has currently 10 teams in. The Big 12 is the best conference. Yeah, I think between the mix of the depth in the Big 12 and the talent that you have at the top of the Big 12 is the big difference to me because you have Kansas, Texas, and I'd still put Baylor in the national title contender mix, whereas in the Big 10 right now, other than Purdue, is there anybody that you feel confident is in the mix to win a title? Because I don't. To win a title, no. I think Purdue's Yeah, not to win a title. Win a title. Not to win a title currently. And and this is going to thin out because once we're in the meet, which we're about to be, of conference play, they're going to thin each other out. Like some of these teams are going to go by. We've seen Penn State just knock off. I mean, put it on Iowa last night. So these teams are going to start to spread themselves out a little bit. Let's get into some of the action from this last week, and let's start with the game of the day in the weekly pickums. We go to Big East action in Cincinnati. We talked about it last week. Phil, you and I were correct. Corey as well. Xavier holds home court 83. Connecticut takes their first loss of the year with 73 points. What a game. Xavier had five dudes in double-figure scoring. Suley Boom, 11. Colby Jones, 16. Zach Fremantle got the MVP of the game, 16 points. Jack Nunge, 15. The Indiana transfer, Jerome Hunter, 15. What a great performance by Xavier. And I think that Sean Miller, we're seeing the effects of him already because, remember, Xavier didn't make the tournament last year with pretty much the exact same roster. They won the NIT but did not make the tournament, and already in his first half a year back at Xavier, Xavier is a top 15 ball club, borderline top 10, and looks to be a real contender to win the Big East this year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned they're just loaded top to bottom. I mean, this roster, I think a lot of people overlooked it, but Fremantle, Nunge, Colby Jones is a phenomenal guard. Adam Kunkel's really good. You mentioned Suli Boom. Um, they're just that starting five matches up well with anybody. Your bigs can switch. Pretty much everybody on the floor can shoot a little bit other than maybe Fremantle. Um, they're going to pose a really tough matchup for a lot of people. And we sort of, you know, I still like UConn better than them. I think UConn was coming off, you know, a, a high intensity game against Villanova earlier in the week that a lot of people thought they were going to lose. I don't want to say it was a letdown game because very few times are ranked on ranked teams, you know, letdown games. But 
that's nothing to take away from Xavier. I think Xavier's a great team. I just do think UConn is still the favorite in the Big East to me. Yeah, I agree with that. And the thing that gets me about Xavier is Josh kind of mentioned it, and we talked about it. Um, we was keeping up with this game Saturday. Is that how balanced they are for scoring, especially in this game? I mean, you mentioned it. What five dudes in double figures? Uh, Zach Freeman did get the MVP, the Ken Palm MVP in this game. He had a double double, sixteen and eleven with five assists. But there's an argument to made that I wouldn't be opposed to say Jack Nunes deserved the MVP, or a guy like Colby Jones deserved the MVP, or even a guy like Jerome Hunter coming off the bench. Either one of these guys who played well, they all scored, they all did their job, and defensively they held. Connecticut to 31 second half points and I think that's what got them to win. Defensively absolutely you can see the identity that Sean Miller is bringing back to Xavier and how about this if I had told you before the game that Connecticut was going to hit 13 threes go 13 to 37 and Xavier was going to go 4 of 13 I think every one of us to a man would say UConn wins by double digits again I, I don't think you have a 9 plus 3 point discrepancy in this game in UConn's favor I don't think any one of us expected Xavier to win, let alone win by 10 points. A couple other key stats. UConn was in major foul trouble. 21 fouls with Alex Caravan fouling out and other guys having four fouls to Xavier's nine fouls. And then the free throw discrepancy was massive. Xavier goes 23 of 28 from the free throw line. UConn only goes four of nine. And then late in the game, how about um, UConn's coach? How about him getting a dumbass technical while UConn's still trying to rally to get back into this game with like 30 seconds to go, and he takes a technical because he won't leave the referees alone? Just stupid decision-making. Well, and there's a couple things in this game that just don't go UConn's way. I mean, Andre Jackson goes four for 12 from three. If, if he even, you know, cuts that back a little bit, I mean, you cannot miss eight threes in a game to me, especially when you're not the go-to dude. Um but I want to go back to Colby Jones just because, you know, I think he's the MVP of this team for Baylor so far. My guy's averaging 14 points a game, five rebounds and five assists on 50% shooting. Uh, has raised his three-point percentage 15 points this year. Um, he's not quite going to be in the conversation for Big East Player of the Year, but definitely my MVP for Xavier so far this season. He might he might get most improved. Like, he might get yeah. most improved. Um, Xavier, though, if they're not, I know AP poll just came out today. I know they're not in the top 10, which is probably right right now, but they have the look of a top 10 team. Sean Miller is a miracle worker right now, and he might be in that short running for coach of the year early on. Speaking of coach of the year, Phil, I think we talked about this off air last week. How about the miracle job? With all the bullshit he walked into, with the scandals, losing the head coach, guys transferring out, having to bring his own guys in from Murray State. LSU is 12-1 and right now. Their only loss to a good Kansas State team on a neutral floor by two points. Since then, they've won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row, including last Wednesday, December 28th, beating Arkansas at home 60-57. to what about the job Matt Manning is doing down in Baton Rouge? Anybody? <laughs> well, you said fail, so I was waiting for him. I was yeah, to no, I'm sorry. My, I froze for a sec, but uh, no, Matt McMahon's been great. You mentioned the, uh, the win over Arkansas this week. I think Arkansas, at least for me, is the favorite in the SEC. I was a little surprised to see them drop that. Um, LSU 
to that point was sort of unchallenged. You know, they had the win over Wake Forest, 72 to 70. But other than that, no real, I wouldn't say quality wins, but that definitely puts them on the board. Um, still a little skeptical. I don't know about you guys. I'm interested to see how they do once we get into the meet of SEC play. You know, you mentioned it in the Big 12, but SEC and the Big 10 are sort of the same way that there's so many good teams that they're just going to beat up on each other. And I think it may thin out, you know, a couple of those mid-tier teams. No, I, yeah, I completely agree. Obviously, Arkansas, no Trevon Brazil. He's done for the year. And um, uh, the big Nick Smith did not play in this game. So a, a big loss is obviously. But LSU, man, I think they've got to be the story of this game. Both teams shot terrible from the three-point line. Four of 25 from Arkansas, four of 17 from LSU. But you look at just how gritty LSU is. They held a high-scoring Arkansas team to 57 points. They bought in defensively, they locked in, and they got the job done. Impressive win, especially for the first SEC conference play game of the year. Yeah, and LSU, Derek Fountain had a double-double for him, 14 points, 10 or 10 rebounds. But the best player on the floor for them was a guy who came off the bench, Trey Hannibal. He had just 5.6 points per game. He went and got 19 points with six rebounds with two assists. I think he played well, and he did his job coming off the bench. Well, and let's give K.J. Williams a lot of credit for them, too. He leads them in scoring, rebounding, steals, and assists per game. He's doing everything for them. Um, Averaged 18 points a game last year, doing it again this year. I I believe we had him on our all-SEC team in the magazine. Um, Yep. But he's been just a dog this year. It's very rare to see a guy lead in four out of five major categories. Well, remember, too, the question marks him coming over from Murray. Is like, can he do it on a, a big stage? And, I mean, he's showing up, showing out right now. And LSU, man, I know they're not ranked this week. But this is another one of those teams, man. If they can somehow make the NCAA tournament with all the shit going on, it makes other teams who've been in similar situations look really bad right now. The fact that LSU and Matt Manning can do this year one with everything that happened to them. Yeah, totally agree. I mean... But part of it is he's just a phenomenal coach as well. He had a really good team at Murray State last year that he was able to bring a lot of those guys over. But you mentioned it. That doesn't necessarily, you know, winning at Murray State is a completely different animal than winning in the SEC at LSU. And these guys have all stepped up and, you know, their games have translated. So big ups to him. I, I'm not sure there's any way even now that he doesn't win SEC Coach of the Year. I mean, unless they absolutely bottom out in SEC play, I think it's got to be him. Yeah, well, we'll find out how good they will be uh, tomorrow when they have a big road game tomorrow. So we'll see how good they can really be, especially in the SEC. Yeah, the SEC is brutal. Uh, we think the Big 12 is number one. I would say the SEC is maybe number two or at least tied with the Big 10. But staying in the SEC, and it's funny you mentioned SEC Coach of the Year because I think this guy has got to have his name in the hat right now. And that is Dennis Gates at Missouri. We made fun of Missouri after they got blown out by Kansas, the strength of schedule and yada, 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 the inflated record. All they've done since then is blow out Illinois and put a hurting on Kentucky last week in Columbia, Missouri, beating them 89-75. I'm going to let you guys take this part, and then I'll jump in. I don't know how many times every year I have to keep going in like this, so I'm going to let you guys take the volley. Thoughts on Missouri and Dennis Gates first, and then whatever your thoughts on Kentucky after that. Well, I'll go first because I'm the one who pretty much dogged them last week, saying that they played pretty much nobody and that 
pretty much saying that I didn't think they was a tournament team. Uh, I like to apologize to Dennis Gates and Missouri because they're 100% a tournament team. They surprised me a lot. They're fourth in offensive efficiency according to Ken Palm. Fourth. They got a top five offense. They're number two in effective field goal percentage. Number two in two-point percentage. They're 45th in three-point percentage, shooting 37.1% from the three-point line. They're a well-balanced team, and I like... Kobe Brown a lot. He played well in the Illinois game. He played well in this Kentucky game. And they've got two of one of the most impressive wins all season long. And they did it in a span of a week. Uh, or not a, um, and, and neither one, close to a week. And neither one were close. And Phil, speaking on Kobe Brown, he's got to be SEC frontrunner player of the year, doesn't he? Yeah, you know, I mentioned last week his shooting, his three-point shooting has just gone through the roof this season. So if he's able to continue that, then he's definitely in the conversation. And you guys mentioned the wins against uh, Illinois and Kentucky. But, you know, since the Kansas win right after that, they had a win over UCF, too, who's been looking pretty solid so far this year. So they've really bounced back from that 30-point loss to Kansas. And you got to give Dennis Gates a lot of credit for that, too, because, you know, a 30-point loss went to your rival when you're supposed to be, you know, this 9-0 and team on the uprise. That could have been the point they folded this season. And instead, they bounced back with three huge wins. So super impressed with Dennis Gates so far. Um, as far as Kentucky goes, you know, I mentioned this to you, Josh. At what point does Cal just have to, like, relearn the modern game? Like, go study with Steve Kerr or some, Nick Nurse, one of these offensive gurus in the NBA. You know, find some high school coach who's running some crazy shit somewhere. Like, he has got to expand what they're because they're not spacing the floor at all. No, like go ahead. They run an offense straight out of 1995. No, and you're absolutely right. And look, case in point in this game, you want to get Oscar the ball, and I understand that, but it's hard to get him the ball when one they're digging down and double teaming, and it makes it even harder when you have your third defender because a guy like Lance Ware or Jacob Toppins on the other block. You're basically allowing an extra defender to guard two people. You're taught in elementary school when you start the game of basketball, keep your spacing because if you're too close and I'm the defender, I can guard the ball handler and the guy next to it. Kentucky's spacing is so bad. It is so bad. Peyton, I want to hear your thoughts on the Cats and this game in particular. Well, you can say that he needs to relearn the modern offense, but the thing is, he's not going to because he's too fucking stubborn. I don't think he really gives a shit. I mean, he every time they lose, it's some bullshit excuse on why they continue to lose. And he finally said, I think, about a couple of days ago, that the blame needs to be put on him. Of course the blame needs to be put on him. They have the talent. We talked about preseason how... When they went and got uh, C.J. Frederick and they got guys like Antonio Reeves who can knock down shots. Kaysen Wallace was able to hit some shots. Chris Livingston as well, showing that he can hit some shots. But when it comes to season play, it's always the same cow. He's not going to play him. He's not going to do what he, does, he needs to do um, offensively. And you mentioned his offense is stuck in 1995. There is no offense with this team because they don't run any sets. They run the same bullshit out-of-bounds play that they've ran since he's got there. They don't do anything differently. Defensively, I think they're good. I don't think they're elite. I think they got a lot of problems down there that they need to get figured out. And if they don't get it figured out soon, then they could potentially not finish top five in the SEC this year. Buddy, I don't even know. I'm debating. They're 8-4 and, and four after this game. We'll talk about how they got their ninth win here in a little bit. But I don't know. They, they don't have quality wins because the Michigan loss when they lost to Central Michigan, 
their best loss our best win now is Yale and Yale takes a loss to I think it was Columbia so not great wins I don't even know if this is a tournament resume team as we sit here on January 2nd which is not good for a team we had ranked preseason top five um still a lot of time to figure it out but yes it to me it all revolves around the offense and the lack of spacing lack of doing they don't know how an identity to play they don't know if they want to play fast they don't know if they want to play late in the shot clock they don't know the bad thing is they're shooting the three ball fairly well like they hit eight of 23 for 35 percent in this game that's average that's not bad but it's like you get the game down to nine, you're down 20, you get it to nine at one point in the second half, momentum on your side, and you turn the ball over. Missouri runs down immediately his transition three, game pretty much over at that point. It's like how come all these other teams, you, you look at Dennis Gates, this Missouri team's playing fast, free, they're pressing, they're, they're shooting three balls, they're spacing. Cal's been doing this for 30 years. How has he not figured out to let his horses run? In the land where horses are revered in Kentucky. I don't understand it. Let your guys run. Set them free. Stop playing Chris Livingston at the three. In modern games, Chris Livingston is a stretch four. Like Peyton mentioned, he's got the ability to hit threes. Stop force feeding him at the three spot. Because you are losing offensively and defensively. I love Oscar Shibway, but he's getting abused right now in pick and rolls. Teams this year in all the games we've lost are abusing Oscar Shibway's lack of one-on-one defensive ability because they are, they've got a big that are just whipping him to the rim. Kobe Brown, other guys are whipping him to the rim, and he can't defend one-on-one. So a lot of issues for Kentucky. But, man, Missouri looks like the real – they look like, obviously, a top 25 team right now. Obviously. I want to go back to a point you made, Josh, about you know how Kentucky didn't shoot the three-pointer bad in this game. They're 11th in the country right now in three-point percentage. They're shooting 39% on the year. But they're 279th in three-point rate. They only take 33.4% of their shots from three-point land in the bottom 100 in the country. Like, again, that's a coaching adjustment that has to be made. Like, if you're a good three-point shooting team... 23 three-pointers in modern basketball is not enough. Like, you see other teams taking 35, 40 three-pointers a game. I may not agree with it, but, like, that's how modern basketball is played. And I'm glad you no, mentioned that point. No, you're absolutely right. That's, I'm glad you mentioned that point because that's ahead, something Peyton. I was going to mention. Josh, if I told you these three stats right here, Kentucky's ranked top 30 in defense. They're ranked third in offensive rebounding percentage. And like Phil said, they're ranked top 15 shooting 39% from a three-point line, you would probably think Kentucky's a Final Four team and ranked top five, top ten in the country. And they're not. They're nine and they're sitting here nine and four. Absolutely. And you're right. That held those stats, they should be unbeaten with the team they've got. And, and one last thing, and we'll move on from this whole topic and change course of direction. Phil, I put I was so aggravated that I put it on Thursday morning the the day after the game. And you text me private well, you text the group privately and you brought up a good point. The point I brought up is why would any top player in the country want to come play for this version of John Calipari? He's going to scream at you and holler and hoot like he normally does. He's going to not run offense that it helps you win ball games and accentuates your positives, and you're not going to play in a fun system. Why on earth would a top 15, top five, the number one recruit in the nation, 
go play for this version of John Calipari. If we're talking 2015, absolutely. But 2023 John Calipari, why would any top recruit want to go play? And Phil, you had a great response and question to that. Well, I'm going to start off with a different sort of part of my response, but you mentioned it, you know, he doesn't even play a style of basketball anymore that accentuates guys' games for the NBA. I mean, Shaden Sharp was a top 10 pick last year, didn't even play for Kentucky. When is the last time Kentucky had a top five pick? I mean, uh, it's it's been a few years. Yeah, it's been they, a minute. They, they, get, they get dudes drafted in the first round still, but, it, you know, Cal for the biggest, you know, part of the 2000s was, you know, come to Kentucky and I'll get you drafted in the top 10. I'll turn you into a pro. I'll make you a number one overall pick. He can't even sell that anymore. So that's where a big issue comes in for me. But yeah, I asked you if I'm Robert Dillingham right now, I'm looking at this offense and I'm saying, there's no way I can come there. I mean, DJ Wagner's going to be there next year. There's no way that he's not the, the relationship with his dad and Cal is just too strong. That's why he's going there. I think Bradshaw's following DJ, no matter what. But yeah, a guy like Dillingham, who's already proven he's, you know, not afraid to commit and decommit, which there's nothing wrong with, you know, find the best place for you. I'd be looking at this situation saying there's no way I get showcased the way that I need to to be a top 10 pick in the draft. Well, look at Rob's highlights. He became viral a couple months ago in that showcase game where he went for 30 because he's hitting step backs, Iverson's shit. And do you think Cal's going to let him do that where he just pulls up on somebody in transition for a three? Probably not. And to answer your question, Phil, about the last time Kentucky's had a top five pick in the draft, it was 2017. De'Aaron Fox went number five. Yeah, so, so there's five. A, there's an you're answer looking to your at question. five drafts since they've had one. And not only that, but like if I'm Dillingham too, I'm looking at it going, I know that DJ's the feature guy next year. Like, again, there's no way that he's not. So do I want to come in and play second fiddle? Like, maybe you don't mind playing second fiddle in an offense like Gonzaga's or Arizona's where everybody's going to eat. You know, you can have two or three guys average 15 points a game. But if you're at Kentucky, you're not going to have two dudes averaging 20 points a game or even close to that. I don't know if Cal's – maybe one that I can remember averaged 20. Maybe one in his whole time's averaged 20 points. And I think that was Jamal Murray. I think Murray averaged, like, close to 20. So, yeah, guys, it's more of a spread-out offense when it's clicking, but it's not, and shit's got to be better. Speaking of, though, we talked about kind of similarities earlier in the bracketology between Carolina and Kentucky. Carolina gets back in the side of the AP Top 25. We're borderline in the ECB Top 25 a couple weeks ago. And they go out on and close out 2022 with – and I know it's on the road, but it's still a pretty bad loss. They lose to Pittsburgh 76-74. Armando Baycott, another good game, you know, 22 points, 13 rebounds. He does what he does, but Caleb loves seven points. He only took nine shots in this game. He pulled back his shooting, his uh, shooting, shooting shots and didn't score a whole lot. You know, RJ Davis, 16 in this game, Carolina, every time that they, we feel like they're starting to get it figured out. They go and have a pretty bad loss. And again, I know it's on the road and Pitt's 10 and 4 and they're 3 and 0 in the ACC and yada, yada, yada. I get it. I get it. But man, on the surface, it's still a bad loss. 
I mean, I get it a little bit if Pittsburgh had a guy like Trey McGowan who can go get them fucking 20-plus any given night, but they don't. I mean, they were up. North Carolina in this game at halftime was up 40-34. to This is a game that North Carolina should have won pretty comfortably in my eyes. I don't give a shit if it was on the road, Chapel Hill, or a neutral side game. This is a game that they should have won. They let Jamalius Burton from Pittsburgh have 30 points. Hey, shout points. out. Shout out to the Burton. Yes, sir. 31 points, 6 rebounds, and 1 assist, and he did that in 34 minutes. Um... He only missed two shots. 14 he missed two shots. Even yeah, like you said, it as soon as we think we have them figured out, they're starting to play well. They just shit the bed against a team like Pittsburgh, and uh, they need to get this shit figured out. Well, and let's uh, you know you're talking about the Jamarius Burton game. I hear constantly from Carolina fans every single week that how great of a defender Leaky Black is. You know, Leaky Black is he should be an All American with how good of a defender he is, and then he gets a 30-piece put on him by Jamarius Burton, who doesn't even make a three in this game? Yeah. Like, <laughs> come on. You're, you can't call yourself one of the best defenders in the country and then give up a 30-piece, and a dude doesn't even make a three on you. It's insane, man. Um, I, again, North Carolina, Kentucky, very similar boats right now, and it, it's, it's odd because neither team can get out of their own way right now. Neither team can get out of their own way. Good on Pittsburgh. Don't want to be too negative on them. They, they are 3-0 in the ACC. 10-4. and It's been a much better start this year than it has in years past where they're not great at all. So good on them. But Carolina cannot lose that game, especially when you're up 55-46 with 11 minutes left to go in that game. That's a game that you should slowly start to pull away. And, I, again, I know it's on the road. I know it's conference play. you got to win that game. Speaking of got to win this game – oh, go ahead. I was just to say, you got to win this game because at this point, you know, at nine and five and one and two in the conference, you're kind of starting to play with fire here as far as like making the tournament, to be honest, because you you have to imagine that you could lose to Virginia. Um, you know, you could hopefully split with Duke, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that they sweep Duke or Duke sweeps them. Um, you know, Virginia Tech's going to be tough games. NC yeah. State's playing better. Like, you Wake have Forest. to get the wins over teams that you're supposed to beat because, like, any of these other teams can fucking beat you any night. Yeah, Wake Forest. They just had a big win this weekend over Virginia Tech. Like, you don't play well, with fire with them. We didn't even mention Miami, who might be the best team in the country. Oh, right they now. might be the best team in the country. Absolutely. Or and you don't, I wouldn't even sleep on North Carolina State right now. I wouldn't even sleep on them. They've got one dude no, that could go – I mean, if Pittsburgh's got Jamarius Burton going for 31, what do you think the kid from North Carolina State – and his name's skipping my mind right now. Terquavion Smith. Terquavion Smith. Terquavion Smith. What do you think he can go do? I mean, he could put a 50-piece up. But exactly. Yeah, not they, not yeah. only that, but then you also have Casey Morcel, who you know transferred in from Virginia last season and was expected to play a much bigger role last year, but has finally kind of stepped up. I think he's averaging like 15-plus points a game, shooting the ball very well. Um, yeah, NC State's got some pieces. And then, and, and I know Syracuse is down, but on a given night, that zone, you know, North Carolina takes bad shots. Who's to say Syracuse couldn't knock them off? So, I mean, I'm with you. I think North Carolina's playing with fire here. Yeah, you know, again, you mentioned Syracuse. Judah Mintz is another guy who's a good enough of a player that they can beat anybody any night. Like, Carolina, you know, could they go on a run similar to last year and, you know, win eight of their last nine or whatever it was in the regular season? Absolutely. But they also, you know, it would not shock me to see this Carolina team end up with 12 or 13 losses at this point. Coming off this loss to Pittsburgh, Carolina's next three games is home against Wake Forest, home against Notre Dame, and on the road at Virginia. Very well could go 0-3. You gotta get. Be, 
I will be in the building in Chapel Hill for the uh, Wake Forest game on January the 4th. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to get them two home ones. You got to get those two home ones. The Wake Forest, Notre Dame game, you got to get both of them and then see what happens at Virginia. But moving on, another top 25 team takes Nell over the weekend. Baylor goes up to Iowa State and just gets throttled. Iowa State 77, Baylor 62. Um, again, life in the Big 12. Um, all 10 teams are inside the top 40 in Ken Palm. Iowa State, man, they just, uh, they're not the sexiest team, but they're two and are 10 and 2, 1 and 0 in conference play now. And they're one of those teams that you can easily beat them, but they could easily beat you by double digits. My mic would work. Sorry, I was pressing my damn button and went on mute. Yeah, I agree. Um, Iowa State's definitely a team to watch out for in the Big 12. I think they could be a sleeper team. The fact that they just beat Baylor 77-62 says it all. But the I want to talk more about Baylor because I think they got a legitimate problem. They have a tough time defending guys. I think that's a lot to do with Keontae George. I mean, this kid's a superstar, but he doesn't defend the ball well at all. Um, so they're losing some of the defensive ability that they've had in past years. Um, with him on the four, yeah, he can go out there and get you 16, which he did in this game, but he needs to be able to defend, and he needs to be able to be a good two-way player, and that's just something I just don't think he's learned yet. So they need him and other guys to step up defensively if they want to start competing and uh, being top three in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, Josh, you mentioned it. Iowa State's not the sexiest team, but they play top 20 defense like usual. Um, I am a little concerned. They're 111th in the country in uh, offensive uh, adjusted offensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So that's a little bit concerning. Um, but you know, they their effective field goal percentage are top 100. They just they don't take care of the ball great, which is you know kind yeah, of weird. Usually, defensive teams like that you know value every possession and take care of the ball, and they're kind of the opposite. But I think if they can get that together, you know, the defense is always going to be there for them. Yeah, they had 15 turnovers in this game. How about the Iowa State hit 10 threes from two guys? Caleb, or Caleb Grill and Gabe Kalster both go five of nine from three-point line to make up every three-point field goal Iowa State hit. But, I mean, if you have two guys that shoot, shoot the three that well, then obviously it's a major luxury. And, Peyton, I'm with you. I think Baylor's still trying to figure it out, especially a guy like Keontae George. Normally a lot of these freshmen come in so far advanced on the offensive end, it takes them a minute to pick up the defensive end. I think as long as he continues to work at it and buy in, I think by as we go along in conference play, especially in the meat grinder of the Big 12, that a guy like Keontae will at least be passable before he heads off to the NBA. But until then, I think Baylor, man, this Big 12 is hard. And um, I think they're going to win more than they lose, but they've got to figure out this defensive structure because Phil you mentioned Iowa State's not the greatest offensive team they beat them by 15 by scoring 77 and Baylor only scored 62 so good win for Iowa State man that Big 12 is a meat grinder speaking of the Big 12 I'm going to stay in the Big 12 yet again Kansas State takes down West by God Virginia uh, on Saturday great Great win for Kansas State. They're 12 and 1, the only loss on a, a road loss to Butler. Man, they don't have the sexiest wins. You know, they did beat LSU. They beat Nevada, which is not bad. They beat Nebraska, who's been up and down in this West Virginia win. So, four fairly good wins, and the only one loss, and it's not a bad loss. New head coach Jerome Tang comes over from Baylor, ironically. 
and they're 12 and one. This is Kansas State's best team that they've had in a couple of years now. What do we make of Kansas State 12 and one and beating West Virginia like this? And they dug themselves out of a big hole in this one, too. I mean, West Virginia jumps out to a 16 to one lead in this game, uh, ends up leading by 11 at halftime. But Kansas State just fought their way back. Marquise Newell is really good in this one at 23 points. Uh, got to the free throw line a ton. Was just super aggressive getting to the rim. Um, I still think, you know, Kansas State is probably top five in the conference to me because I love Keontae Johnson. I'm super great story. You know, you, I think, wrote an article about it. I did, yes, year, sir. Josh. Wasn't ever sure if this guy was even going to play basketball again let alone play at the level he was, you know, as a conference player of the year type guy at Florida. And he's certainly returned to that level. Um, between him and Noel, they have, you know, a really good duo that can take anybody down. Not going to probably knock off the Kansases and Baylors of the world generally. But like I said, I think they're in that middle tier where they oh, they can have a really good uh, Big Ten, Big 12 season, excuse me. Well, Josh, I tell you what, you got me there because as soon as you said we're sticking to the Big 12 and you mentioned Kansas, I thought you were going to talk about the Jayhawks, Kansas, and then you fucking said Kansas State and my whole, uh, my whole world turned upside down. But, uh, you know, I think if we're talking about Coach of the Year's, Big 12, right now, my Big 12 Coach of the Year is Jerome Tang. Uh, he does sit in 12-1. The only loss is a 12-point loss on the road to Butler. Um, I think Butler's a solid team. And uh, you mentioned the one of the, the only team to defeat LSU this season who LSU just went on to beat a top 15-ranked Arkansas squad. So I think they've got a lot of talent on the team. And how about Keontae Johnson? This dude needs to deserve all the love this season. Because he leads, he leads Kansas State in scoring with 17.7 points per game. Not only that, he's shooting 56.9% from the field, 42.5% from the three-point line. He's a 73% free throw shooter. He leads them in rebounding too, I'm pretty sure, with 6.8 rebounds per game. This kid, after coming off of a tough... um, you know, being hospitalized at, you know, when he was at Florida, having with a the heart deal, yeah. with the heart deal, all the health issues he's had to overcome, he's overcome them now, and now he's balling, and shout out to him because he's been playing amazing this year. Well, I mean, as we sit here right now, he's an all-Big 12 performer. He would be on the first team, all-Big 12 team. And how about this, Phil? You know, Jerome Tang, we didn't know he'd get it done this early, but we knew coming over he's a really good recruiter. He was massive for all those Baylor recruiting glasses. So you imagine with this team right now, and once he starts getting his players in, Kansas State might be back and be back in a big way where they're consistently top 25 challenging at the top of the Big 12. And this is a way better start than anybody ever expected. And you mentioned maybe not, you know, they may not beat Kansas. They, You know, Kansas – Regardless how good Kansas State is, they struggle at the octagon of doom. And now you give Kansas State a good team with a good coach. It would not shock me if Kansas takes one of those L's there at the octagon of doom this year. That's all. I'm just saying that. But a uh, good story, Jerome Tang, Keontae Johnson, Kansas State 12-1, and should be ranked. I don't know if they were in the AP poll this week. Hopefully they are the ECB poll because I voted them. But, um, yeah, good story, Kansas State. Let's wrap up a couple of other action, just some quick hitters, Peyton. You mentioned Kansas real quick. Oklahoma State had them dead to rights, and Kansas made a rally to get the win at the end. 
Yeah, all I'm going to say is uh, don't have Kansas down 15 points going into the second half because they will come back and beat you. Kansas was down 45 to 30 going to the second half, and with five and with 16 minutes to go in the second half, Kansas has cut that shit down to five points. Um, come back, kids, as you will. Dewan Harris played great. He had a couple threes to get us back into this game. Grady Dick did what he does. Kevin McCullough, probably though, was the star of the show. He had a big time block to save the game with like point or a second left in the. Clock in the second half hit that got that little big time block before he hit a big time three to go up by one point. Um, great win, Oklahoma State. It doesn't matter if it's at Kansas, if it's at uh, Oklahoma State. They always seem to give us troubles, and we came out with a dub, and that's what we call a championship pedigree. And I think I mean it was debatable. Sorry, Phil, but it was debatable that final play. Oklahoma State may have got fouled. He may have got fouled, but. It was still a good block for McCuller saving the game there. He might have got. Thank you. You, I was gonna say you don't get that shit in Allen Fieldhouse. It ain't happening. No, and all the only comment I was gonna make was a little pun, but uh, just Oklahoma definitely or Oklahoma State, excuse me, definitely uh, faded into the fog in the second half of that game. <laughs> definitely um, did. They, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody else at at my job about it, and you can't score twenty two points in the second half of any basketball game and expect to win, but especially a game. In Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, if, if you score 22 points in the second half, that's an L. Yeah, and it just shows to beat a team like Kansas, especially in their building, you have to play a complete 40 minutes. Um, and, if uh, you're one- no, go ahead. Finish your point. No, I was just saying you got to play a complete 40 minutes if you're wanting to get the upset. And uh, bias aside, when are we going to start talking about Kansas as one of the best teams in the country? I mean, I, mean, I think I- we already have been. Yeah. They've been ranked in the top five in the ECB poll for like – five straight weeks or something yeah, yeah but didn't you just say that you thought houston should be number one seed over them yeah but that doesn't mean i still think kansas is one of the five best teams in the country i just think according to what they've accomplished so far this year i think that we're penalizing houston i mean houston has a better win than any win kansas has kansas got pretty well handled by tennessee um to- so I, get that. I just I think Houston's resume at this point is better than Kansas's, but I think both teams are are among the top six, seven, eight teams in the country. The only thing I'm gonna say about that and why I think Kansas deserves a one seed over Houston is because you, if you compare the losses, Kansas lost a neutral site game to Tennessee, their third game in three days, and, and Houston lost their game against Alabama on their home court. So. I, about that. I, I, I think we're pick splitting hairs here because I think they're both really good teams. Real quick, before we wrap this segment up, um, the Bluegrass rivalry would normally lead off any show we do. Any Every year, this would lead off the show. We would talk about this for 15 minutes, but really there's not much to talk about. Louisville sucks this year. Kentucky struggled. We've documented both things. Kentucky blowout win, 86-63, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. The offense did look better. There was better spacing. You got to feel good for a guy like Jacob Toppin. Career high, 24 points. He didn't force a whole lot at all. 10 or 14 from the field. Tuck his shots as they came. Attack the rim. That's exactly how he has to play. Stop forcing shots. Stop fading away on jump shots. He did what, exactly what he's supposed to. Oscar had an Oscar game. 24 points, 14 rebounds. Um but I'm still, like, even in the best offensive performance we've had all year, as far as spacing, running the floor, picking your spots, still not impressed because Louisville's not good, and we allowed them to stick around for a little bit before eventually pulling away and blowing them out. 
I still want to see more, and I want to see this when we play LSU tomorrow night on Tuesday. I want to see it when we play Alabama and Arkansas and Tennessee. If we can do that then, then I will be impressed. Great win. You obviously don't want to lose this game, and you win it convincing fashion by 23 points. I'm still not impressed. Peyton, I just I want to post something to you because it's just something I haven't watched a ton of Louisville basketball this year, but I've, I've had bits and pieces I don't blame in you. there. And they like it's one thing to lose because you don't have the talent on the floor, which is part of the problem. They don't match up talent wise, but they don't play hard like they don't play hard at all. They don't play with any sense of urgency. Like you look at a guy like Sidney Curry last year, he was at least rebounding the ball. You know, this year, his offensive rebound percentage is way down. I'm just like, that is inexcusable to me in a coach's first year. I'm just curious, like, what you think, how does KP turn this around? Like, what is the fix here? Well, I mean, to be fair, I don't see how it can get any fucking worse because I'm legit, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now. We're saying that 2-12, and 12, Ken Palm has us losing every, the rest of the fucking season, they have us losing every single fucking game of the year. That should not happen, and I'm getting pissed off. I'm glad as hell we didn't record Sunday because I was still ticked off watching this game because we all knew Louisville was going to get their ass whooped. You know, Corey said by 25-plus. I said by 15 or more, and I think, Phil, you said probably like 30-plus or something like that. We all expected Louisville to get destroyed by Kentucky, but I didn't expect Louisville to completely give up in the second half once Kentucky started to make the run. Because they fucking did. They gave up. And that right there, to me, is the most embarrassing loss in this rivalry for Louisville since I started watching Louisville basketball. Because that can't happen. Yeah, Kentucky has way more talent than we do. Yeah, Kentucky, it was at Kentucky's home floor. It was at Rupp Arena. And yeah, we did have some spurts in this game, but we cut it down to eight points. But the fact that we gave up, you want to know how I know we gave up? Because we kept, we put Kane Payne on the fucking floor. He shouldn't be playing. We put Fabio Bazzilli on the floor when he hasn't, he's barely played all season. Devin Lee is a four-star recruit. He's a top one recruit coming to this year. Why is he not getting minutes? I don't understand it. I'm so over this team. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this because I've been hearing all Louisville fans talk about how they want Kenny Payne gone. And I think that he deserves one more year to turn this shit around. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but if he doesn't at least get it to the NIT tournament next year, he needs to be gone immediately. But if you propose the idea that KP doesn't coach next year, I'm fucking okay with it because he's not head coach material. He's a career assistant at best. And that picture I posted in the Facebook group, a Facebook group of him smiling with Coach Cal after we just got embarrassed by them, our biggest rival. I don't give a shit if him and Cal are best friends. I don't give a shit if Coach Cal or if Kenny Payne was on Coach Cal's coaching staff for however long he was on the coach staff for. I don't care because you're at Louisville. You're playing our biggest rival, and you expect to least show effort, and we fucking didn't. KP, figure this shit out. Get rid of Start recruiting. Get the team to Danny, Danny May and let him coach the rest of the season. Get your shit together, because recruiting side needs to be better. We struck and miss on DJ Wagner. We struck and miss on Robert Dillingham. AJ Johnson went to Texas. Isaiah Miranda went to NC State. Over Louisville. We're losing kids to NC State, and no offense to them, but compared to NC State to Louisville, there's no fucking comparison. Why in the world are we losing kids to NC State? 
It's embarrassing. Need, shit needs to get figured out because we are Louisville basketball. And he would talk so much about how the recruits, or not the recruits, the players need to realize where they're playing at, that they're playing for Louisville. How about you fucking realize where you're coaching at? And I'm getting emotional now because I'm pissed off right now. And I didn't think I was going to be, but damn it, I am. Because it's embarrassing and I don't like watching this team. And I'm not going to watch the rest of the Louisville game all season long. Get shit figured out because you are coaching Louisville. You're not coaching NC State. You're not coaching Harvard. You're not coaching any of the other schools. You're coaching Louisville. Figure this shit out. I don't think when I... you mentioned it, Peyton, Ken Palm hasn't predicted to lose every single game the rest of the year. They, like, the talent isn't that bad. Like, they have as much or more talent than fucking Georgia Tech. They have as much or more talent than, you know, the bottom of the ACC. They have as much or more talent than Bellarmine and these teams that they lost to. That's where it's inexcusable to me. Like, you can lose to Kentucky, even get blown out by Kentucky because they have the dudes on the floor. But, like, you still have L. Ellis. You still have Sidney Curry. Like, you still have some guys on this team. And and so to just – to be three or two and whatever they are, three and whatever, like – that's the inexcusable part to me. It's one thing to go 500. It's one thing to even go a little bit below 500. But this team is not going to get to double-digit wins, like not even close. And I don't think I could say it any better than YouTube, and I'll close it on this. Um, I feel bad for a guy like L. Ellis because he's the one guy that is trying at least. He had 23 points in this game. He did everything he could do. He has no help, none whatsoever, from backcourt running mates his front court's not helping him, and his coaching staff is failing him too. I feel bad for a guy like L. Ellis, and I'm with Peyton. There came a point in that game, Louisville cut it down to single digits a time or two, and Kentucky punched them back, and they folded. They stopped playing hard, and that is completely inexcusable. And I've said this in private, and I'll say it on here again. I know Louisville is Kentucky's biggest rival, but it's not fun when they're this bad. I'm begging Louisville to please be good again so it's fun. I'm begging them. So they got to get shit figured out. I don't think we can continue after that emotional, heartfelt plea and response right there. So what we're going to do is we're going to take our one and only commercial break of the show here. We're going to let some ads play and pay the bills since it's 2023. And when we come back, we got some big games this week. We're in the heart of conference play, baby. We got a lot coming up. So Right, coming right back at you with some 2023 predictions, previews, and more of everything college basketball, episode 128, right after these ads. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co founder of House Enterprise. And I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season. So check out the website, www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. 
Every Monday we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me, and let's get back to everything college basketball. Shit, I'm on. There we go. Huge shout out to our guy, Conrad Kushmer of Everything Pro Wrestling. Uh, we're in Royal Rumble season, my favorite pay-per-view historically of the pro wrestling calendar. Hit everything pro wrestling up for all the Royal Rumble, all the AEW, all the WE. New Japan Pro Wrestling's got Wrestle Kingdom coming up in a couple days. There's only one place to go hit up everything pro wrestling. And, of course, our guys and our friends over there at House Enterprise and House College Hoops, our network we are a part of, gl glad and grateful. I mean, they just released a badass trailer that covered the year 2022. We were in it, and it was good stuff. If you haven't seen it, go check out their Twitter page to watch the video couple minutes long, good shit. But what else is good shit this week, fellas? We have a lot of big games coming up. We are in the heart of conference play, so we're going to separate the contenders from the pretenders. Let's start tomorrow night. We alluded to it a little bit. LSU, we know how good they've been. Traveling to Rupp Arena, Kentucky coming off the blowout against Louisville. I mentioned it. I want to see that exact same offensive identity. Spreading the floor, picking your spots, Jacob Toppin settling, or not settling, but attacking like he's supposed to, getting other guys involved. Can Kentucky continue to do that against a stingy LSU team that just held Arkansas to 57 points? I think, I think this game's going to be interesting because Kentucky needs to fucking win this game because if they do, it would be, without a doubt, their best win of the season. Um, you know, according to now, the best win of the year, like you mentioned, Josh, was the game against Yale since Michigan took an L this week. Um, and that has to change. LSU, I mean, they just came off a big and emotional win against Arkansas. But they were without Arkansas were without Trevor Bazili, one of their best players, probably their second best player on the floor. Um, so that's no here, no there. Uh, I think LSU. I mentioned earlier, we're gonna find out how good they really can be when they go out to, uh, at Rep Arena tomorrow and see if they can take down Kentucky and get two back-to-back -back wins in the SEC conference, two major wins in the SEC conference. Uh, I don't think it's gonna happen though. Uh, I think Jacob Toppin, he played extremely well in that Louisville game. Um, I don't think he's going to play as well as he did there because he's going to be facing people, uh, a team with a uh, better talent and a better coach. So I think he has a decent game. I think Oscar Shubway is probably the best player on the floor. And I think Kentucky gets the best win of the season so far and gets the job done in a low-scoring, hard-fight game. I agree with Peyton here. I think uh, the difference in this one is the fact that Kentucky's at home. For me, that uh, that gives them the advantage. I think KJ Williams will have a nice game for LSU, but I think overall Kentucky just has more pieces. At some point, Oscar's going to just you know figure it out and have a monster game. This may be it, um, but I think Kentucky wins this one, not in a blowout, but fairly comfortably. I'm going to say 72-62. Yeah, I'm I'm going to complete the trifecta here. I, I think Kentucky wins pretty much every game at Rupp Arena this year. I, I just I, There's something special about playing there. I don't think that they're going to lose that Rupp this year. So the losses will come on the road, and 
this is at Rupp Arena. So I think Kentucky will figure it out. I think it's going to be a nail-biter all the way through. I'm with you, Phil. I think it's going to be close. And I think at the end, the final couple minutes stretch after the last media timeout, I think Kentucky can go on a run. I got the Cats winning. Fairly similar. I'll say 78-71, but I think Kentucky wins at home. Tries to build some momentum heading into a brutal SEC conference play. Needing to get a win here to stay on course. We go to Wednesday night. We got a bunch of games on Wednesday night that have big-time implications. UConn coming off their first loss on the road at Xavier. Goes back on the road Wednesday night going to a red-hot Providence team who is figuring this out. They go to Butler over the weekend. Throttle Butler inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. Providence is playing with a lot of confidence. First time ever in Big East play. They're starting 4-0. Can Providence knock UConn off again and start 5-0 in Big East play? Phil, go ahead. I'm curious what you have to say about this. No. Um, I, I think UConn probably only loses like one more game in Big East play, if I'm being honest. I, I really love just their their entire team. I mentioned Andre Jackson didn't play well on Saturday, but I think he's a great player. Generally better when he's scoring in transition, not trying to jack up threes like he was. I think he comes back and has a good game. Uh, I don't really think Providence has an answer inside for Sonogo. And uh, I think UConn wins this game handily, uh, 15-plus points, 80-62. to 62. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I agree with you that I think Connecticut does lose one more game throughout the rest of the Big East play. But that game's happening on this one. Providence, you're playing at the Amp, one of the best environments in the country, one of the toughest players to play at. They didn't lose too many games at the Amp last year, and they won the Big East last year as well. Um, I think they win this game. But that matchup between Sinego and Bryce Hopkins, is going to be very fun and very interesting. And uh, Bryce Hopkins has been balling out. He had that 29-23 game against Marquette. I don't think he's going to have that nearly as a good game as he did there uh, for this one. But I think a guy like Jared Biden, this is his coming out party. He's going to have the best game he's played all year. And he might go for 20-plus. Providence, the Fires, the luckiest team in the country last year, is going to continue to get luckier because they're going to win this game 73-71. to yeah, I'm with you, man. You just don't go into the dunk slash the amp and get a win anymore, and Providence is going to fight you. That's the one thing Ed Cooley's teams are going to do. If UConn is not ready for a fight, maybe even a real fist fight, if they're not ready to fight, Providence is going to dominate them. I think UConn's obviously talented enough to beat them, and I think they will make it very, very interesting close throughout the entire game. But I think when it's all said and done, I just think Providence's home court is going to hold true. I think Providence in this game, I think – for them to win, it's going to have to be ugly and low scoring. So because of that, I'm going to say Providence wins 63-60. Ugly game, Providence will fight you. I think their toughness wins out in the end. Let's go back to the SEC also on Wednesday night. Uh, we're using AP rankings because the ECB hasn't quite came out yet. But number 20 in the AP poll, Missouri. At number 13, Arkansas. Wednesday night. Tigers been red hot. Arkansas is coming off of a loss to another set of Tigers. Phil. Can Missouri continue this hot streak, or does Arkansas bounce back at home? Well, part of my prediction kind of depends on whether Nick Smith plays. I know he's been kind of having this, like, nagging, you know, lower body injury. They're not being super specific about it. But if Nick Smith plays, I say there's no way Mizzou wins this game. And even if Nick Smith is out, I still like Arkansas. I definitely think it's, uh, you know, Mizzou has a chance, but I'll take Arkansas and a low-scoring one. I think Arkansas kind of grinds this one out 
If this game was at Missouri, then I would pick Missouri. I would pull the trigger and say they won this game, but it's not, so they're on the road. Um, and even without Nick Smith, they still got more talent. I think Wicked Council, Anthony Black, Devontae Davis, Makai Mitchell, Jordan Walsh. I mean, it's just too much for Missouri to overcome. Love Kobe Brown, what he's done this season. Isaiah Mosley's a good player, but I just don't think they have enough to beat Arkansas. Arkansas holds home court and gets the job done. 78-70. I think home court across conference play this year is so important, maybe more so than in past years. And because of that, I'm going to Arkansas as well, but I think this could be a fun one. The way both teams like to play and get up and down, and Missouri is going to press you, which will speed Arkansas up even more, which they'll love. Both teams will shoot the three. I think this could be a fucking wild high-scoring affair. I'm going to Arkansas holding home court with or without Nick Smith. I think a guy like Anthony Black can do enough. And I've got Arkansas winning a fun, crazy, chaotic, must-see SEC contest on Wednesday night. i got Arkansas winning 89-85. Let's go to the Big 12 on Wednesday night as well. Number 17, TCU at number 18, Baylor. I'll start this one off and I'll make it short and sweet. I don't love how Baylor's playing right now. I know they're at home and I just mentioned I'm going to be hypocritical because I'm going to mention uh, home court advantage. But Mike Miles is healthy. And he is playing out of his freaking mind right now. Jamie Dixon is a great coach. I think TCU has more momentum building right now than Baylor does. And I think because of a guy like Mike Miles, they go into Baylor and give Baylor a second consecutive loss. I got TCU winning 75-72. It's not even just Mike Miles being healthy. It's the fact that Damian Ball is back and healthy. Now, Damian Ball can run the offense and let Mike Miles be uh, to God, let him go get buckets. And that's exactly what they've done. That's the reason they've won on a win streak. Emmanuel Miller is also shooting 47% from the three-point line. So he's balling out. I agree. LJ Cryer didn't play in the last game against who the hell did, West Virginia. Uh, did they play no, Iowa State. Iowa State, that's who it was. He didn't play last game. I'm not sure why, but if he's injured and he's not playing in this game, then I 100% agree. I think I agree anyways. TCU's hot, and they're playing with fire right now. TCU gets an upset win on the road, 79-75. I'm going to be the uh, outlier here. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned it, Josh. I'm a big home court advantage guy, especially in college basketball. I think Baylor, you know, being at home, being the more talented of the two teams. And I also think Baylor, you know, kind of needs this win more right now. So I like Baylor to bounce back a little bit, get on, you know, get back on track in the Big 12. They got to get this one if they want to stay on pace with Kansas for the Big 12 title. Um, And I like Baylor big. Well, we go Thursday night to Big 10 action, the number one team in the land. This is going to be their first challenge in a little bit. They go at Ohio State, number 24 in the AP poll, Ohio State on Thursday night. Phil, I know what you think about Ohio State. Can Bryce Sensible and company do enough to pull the upset and give Purdue their first loss of the year? I think so. I think the matchup is is right for Ohio State in this one. I think they're more physical, you know, pretty much across the board, but definitely in the guard play. And then uh, I think uh, Felix Akpala can actually give – Edie some problems inside you know he's not 7-4 very few guys are but he's you know a legit 6-11 7 feet um 270 pounds I don't think Edie's gonna push him around in the post the way he has a lot of guys and uh, I like Ohio State to not necessarily steal one but you know get a W here 75-70 
Well, Ken Palm agrees with you because they got Purdue losing this game 72-70. to 70. Uh, So Ken Palm agrees, but I'm going to disagree with you both. I think Purdue, and it's not even just Zach Eady, it's their backcourt too. I love Purdue's backcourt. I love Braden Smith and the other guys they got in, the, in their backcourt. I mean, shooting the lights out, defending well. They're defending better than they have in the previous, especially last year. Top 25 in defense. Uh, I think Purdue gets the job done, wins this game. I say 81-71. to 71. I just I love this Purdue team. I love the makeup. They're as balanced as any team in the country. Some teams like Arizona are great offensively. Some teams like Virginia are great def- or Houston are great defensively. Purdue's a mixture of both. They're really good on both ends. And I, I just I don't know. I think they're definitely gonna lose in the Big Ten. And this could be the first one of a couple. I just think they've got enough to withstand Ohio State. Ohio State's gonna have to hit some shots and uh They've definitely got guys that can do it, but they're also not the most consistent doing that. I'm going to go Purdue wins this game, puts the clamps on them the last little bit of the game. So I've got Purdue winning this game 69-64, but great game. And then lastly on Saturday, number 13 Arkansas at number 22 Auburn. I'll go first on this one again, and I'll keep it short and simple. Auburn's backcourt has to play great, and they're so inconsistent. One game that they will, all of them will play out of their minds and they'll beat anybody in the country. Then another game, they'll come back and they'll have 25 turnovers. And they cannot do that against an Arkansas team. I'm going Arkansas on the road. I know, again, I'm being very contradictory here about the home court stance, but matchups make a lot of this. And Auburn's going to, that place is going to be ra- or raucous. Auburn's got a great home court advantage, but I just think Auburn's backcourt's too inconsistent. I think Arkansas can speed them up, turn them over, and beat them. I've got Arkansas winning this game 82-71. Yeah, I agree. I think Arkansas gets the job done. You know, Auburn's ranked 11th in defensive efficiency. They're ranked 50th in offense efficiency. I just don't think they're going to score enough points to beat Arkansas. I think it's going to be somewhat high scoring for Arkansas. I think they went 83-76. to yeah, you know, Arkansas has a couple of tough games this week, but I think they managed to get W's in both of them. I just, you, Josh, you sort of took the words right out of my mouth with Auburn. When you get good Auburn, you know, they're maybe a top 15 team in the country, but when you get bad Auburn, they're probably a bottom half of the SEC uh, team. So I like Arkansas to handle business in this one. And 72 to 65, kind of a tight one. And then let's start wrapping this show up, fellas. We got on this day in history, we take it back to 2007, January 2nd, 2007. Number six, Ohio State beats Indiana 74-67. Greg Oden, 21 points, five rebounds. Mike Conley, nine points, 10 assists, three steals. Just missed one point from a double-double. That was the great Ohio State team, team that went to the national title game and lost to eventual champions, Florida Gators. I mean, what a great team. This Indiana team wasn't bad either. They had DJ White and company, but Ohio State, this was great Ohio State. Phil, I know you're old, you're my age. Any thought memories of this team? Yeah, I mean, I remember all the hype coming in with Greg Oden, Mike Conley, um, just those two dudes. You know, I didn't think that they were necessarily going to lead Ohio State to a national title, but like coming in, they had so much hype around them. Um, I'll always just, it's a shame Greg Oden and his NBA career. Cause I think he could have been so good and we've seen the flashes of it at Ohio state. Um, so those are kind of my memories. And then let's go on to team of the week, mid major teams of the week. And I said teams because we went with a pair of them. 
Team of the week this week, we had to go Xavier. They go to St. John's, get a nice Big East win, and then, then hold home court, knock off previous unbeaten Connecticut. I think they were a pretty safe bet for team of the week. And then, Phil, the co-mid-major teams of the week. Well, I'll let Peyton take one of them because that was his suggestion. But uh, we got to go with College of Charleston again this week. Um, you know, they get a big overtime win over Towson on Saturday, which sets them up, you know, really well for CAA play. And then they also break into the uh, AP Top 25 for the first time since uh, 2002 for them, I believe. So, you know, exciting times in Charleston and uh, great job Pat Kelsey's doing. There's two undefeated teams in the country left, and that's Purdue and that's New Mexico. And New Mexico is the other team on our list for mid-major uh, mid-major team of the week. They're sitting at the 57th in Ken Palm. They're 14-0. and They just knocked off Colorado State on Wednesday, 88-69. They went on the road at Wyoming to defeat the whatever the hell their nickname is. The Cowboys. Cowboys. I no wonder they lost because they named the Cowboys. Fuck the Cowboys. Uh, 76 to 75 uh, in a tough fought game. Wyoming actually led this game for a little bit, and then New Mexico did what they did. New Mexico might have one of the most underrated backcourts in the country. Jamal Mashburn and Jalen Houseman putting up some numbers just Phenomenal. Year, and they continue to get better. And I don't know, New Mexico, they sh- should have been ranked on not ECB Top 25 last year. I, they got my vote. Josh, I know they got your vote as well. They better be ranked when we do our Top 25 this week, though, because if not, we're going to have a, a voting committee uh, situation <laughs> here because we got to get this shit figured out. New hey, Mexico, how- the Lobos, they're uh, close to being back, and shout out to Richard because he's doing a hell of a job. Hey, Lil Richie, if New Mexico continues at this pace, then they're not going to go unbeaten. But if New Mexico has a great year, wins like say they win 30 games, and they get a fairly good seat, like a top six seed in the NCAA tournament, and somehow win a game or two, make Sweet 16. Do you think he lasts another year in New Mexico, or do you think he gets another big uh, power six opportunity? Man, I don't know, because part of me wonders – how much he wants another power six opportunity. I think that New Mexico might just be kind of the right spot for him. Yeah, I agree. I think he wants to bring New Mexico back. I mean, the pits one of the used to be one of the toughest environments to play in the country, and I think he wants to work to bring them back. And he's totally starting to do. It. I mean, how the fourteen and two and zero in conference play. I think he'll be back next year. Little Richie doing a hell of a job talking about shortlist coach of the year candidates. He would have to be up there. But uh, let's go to the bank on it. Bank on it, Peyton. I got another one right this last week. Um, you got the graphic up here? Yeah. Wait, I thought I had – didn't I get one right this week? I thought uh, I got mine right this week. No, you said Oklahoma's going to beat Texas, and Texas beat Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. Shit. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking of something else. But regardless, bank on it this week. I'm still stuck at three wins. You guys are what you are. So, Phil, I'm going to let you – you take this because you, you like doing these big parlays here. Let's see if you can get your second one of the year right. Man, bank on it. And I, I hate to do this because he's our boy, and, but I got to pick against him here. Bank on it. Carolina takes down Wake Forest and our boy Davion Williamson and, ah. and Caleb Love. 
Caleb Love cooks them for a thirty piece. I gotta, I gotta do these twofers, man. I gotta try to catch up to five hundred. <laughs> but if I keep losing the twofers, then my record just keeps fucking getting away. It's from getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, hold on, hold on. Check. He drops a twenty piece. We're getting a little. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that would be your luck. He goes for twenty nine and they win. Exactly. <laughs> Well, me and you both got fucked on our bank ones last week. I mean, you banked on Darius McGee getting fucking 25. He had, what, 24? 24, like yeah. And then yeah. I banked on LLC to get 25, and the motherfucker only had 23. So You also had, you also had Bellerman going for 12 threes, and they only had, what, like six or seven of them. I should have betted on Liberty because they had, like, 12 yeah. threes. So they I had the 12. Yeah. I should have. <laughs> Wrong team, damn it. But my bank one this week, I said Purdue was going to beat Ohio State. They are. But Purdue... Gets beaten by Penn State on Sunday. That game, it says it's on a neutral side. It's playing at the Palestra. But that's still a home game for Penn State. Penn State gets the job done. Knocks off the number one team in the country. The Purdue, Mo- Purdue Bowlermakers go down. Penn State gets the job done. Bank on it. Well, I like the upset, so I'm staying with it as well. On Saturday, and our good friend Tyler Cook, former co-host of the show for a number of years, he will be the first to tell you that Kansas, when it comes to playing West by God, Virginia on the road, absolutely struggles. And Saturday in West by God, Virginia, Kansas goes down yet again. I think West Virginia, since joined the Big 12, has beaten Kansas more team, more times than any other team in the conference, especially times. at home. And it happens again. I think this is one of those places that Kansas is snake bit at. And West Virginia musters up enough talent, hit shot-making, defensive, and obvious toughness that Coach Huggy Bear brings. West Virginia takes down Kansas Saturday. Bank on it in Morgantown. Bank on it. I mean, I hate to disagree with you there, but it is West Virginia, and it is at West Virginia. And, and uh, hopefully the guy, Country Roads, as much as I love that song, hopefully he ain't playing at the end of the fucking game. Hopefully Rock Chalk will be playing, but I know it's going to be a tough one, especially how good West Virginia is this year. Yeah, and they're just and like I said, Cook will tell you they're snake bit there. there. There's something about that place that just gives them fits. So I'm going West Virginia over Kansas. Let's round this thing out with shout outs. I'll go first. Got to shout out the Lexington Catholic native uh, Kyle Road from Liberty. Back in his old Kentucky home on, on the game we went to against Bellarmine, twenty two points in the win. He was phenomenal. Six seven senior. He was bringing the ball up the floor as a point forward. He hit some threes. He was attacking the paint with paint touches. And more importantly, he was talking and defending Liber- or Bellerman's off-ball action as well as anybody I've seen yet in college basketball. Pointing people, helping out on screens, helping out on the cuts. Kyle Rode from Liberty was tremendous, and he got shout-outs in the pre- post-game press conference for being back home in his home state. Good game by Kyle Rode. Shout-out to the 6'7 senior from Lexington Catholic. Jacob Toppin, speaking of Lexington, 24 points, career high. We already talked about it. It was good to see him play within himself and not for shit. Good on Jacob Toppin. And the last shout-out, another kind of Kentucky reference here. His dad had a Kentucky basketball icon, Jamal Mashburn, 20, or Jamal Mashburn Jr., should I say. 20 points in the win over Wyoming. Hit every clutch free throw down the stretch when they needed it. Did not miss, did not waver, did not fold. Jamal Mashburn Jr. is the real deal. He's balling out at New Mexico, like Peyton said just a little bit ago. So those are my three shout-outs. 
Uh, I'll let Phil go last. I'll go next to my three, four shout-outs, however you want to count them. Uh, staying in the same sentiment as you with the state of Kentucky, uh, shout-out to Haley Van Liff from the Louisville Women's Basketball Program. She got a 1,000th point against Syracuse and that win against Syracuse. Shout-out to her. Hopefully we can knock it off and get her a national championship before her career at Louisville is done. Um, I like the way our team's been playing the past couple weeks after starting the year off. Kind of iffy, losing a couple unranked opponents. But we're starting to play better, and shout-out to her because she's a baller. Next shout-out goes to kind of staying homeless, kind of two-in-one type of shout-out. Shout-out to Bill Self to getting his 300th win in Allen Fieldhouse and did it in, a in an exciting fashion coming back to beat Oklahoma State. And shout out to General Wilson for getting his 1,000th career point as well. Something that a lot of kids in college basketball don't get to experience, he's got to, and it's an incredible accomplishment for him. Oh, definitely our best player, and he's one of the best players in the country. Top five, top three. Uh, next shout out goes to non-college basketball. The best cornerback in the league, Jair Alexander, for shutting down J. Uh why Justin can't I think Jefferson. Justin? I knew it started with a J. Justin Jefferson and knocking off the Minnesota Vikings, and he was talking mad shit doing it. He got Justin Jefferson so pissed off that the motherfucker grabbed his helmet <laughs> and hit the fucking ref. Thank God the ref wasn't looking because he probably would have been ejected for that shit, knowing how soft refs, refs are these days for any sport. So shout out to him. Shout out to the Packers. Go Pack Go. Fuck the Vikings. The Lions. I ain't lying when I'm saying we're kicking your ass next week, so you better be prepared. And we'll get into the playoffs and we'll make it some noise. Next, my last shout out, once again, non-college basketball, staying in the football realm. The college football playoff, some of the best games I've seen all year. Uh, the first game, TCU versus Michigan, was an incredible game. TCU dominated the majority of the game, and Michigan kept fighting and scratching and clawing. They eventually clawed their way back. Only lost by six points, very high scoring. Felt like a Big 12 type of game. Lost 51-45. Incredible game. Second game, or the docket, the main event, Ohio State versus... Georgia, Ohio State, once again, led majority of the game, but Georgia kept fighting, and they got there, they clawed their way back, and they ended up winning by one point, a missed field goal by Ohio State, 42-41, to 41, setting up a big-time national championship game between TCU, who everybody said in the year didn't deserve to be in the college football playoff. Well, guess what? They proved you wrong, because now they're in the natty, facing the defending champs of Georgia. Two of the best games I've seen all year, and the college football semi-playoffs was incredible to watch, so. Those are all my full shout-outs. Phil, go ahead. Um, my shout-outs are all kind of, you know, on one train of thought. But first of all, shout-out to just the organizers and everybody involved with the John Wall Holiday Invitational Tournament. That was one of the best, you know, events I've been to in basketball in general. And just the, the collection of talent that they brought together for the 50th anniversary of the tournament was unbelievable. Um, you know, the accommodations for the media, all that stuff, phenomenal. So shout-out to them. And then I also want to shout out um, Camden High. You know, they have some studs that we know about. Obviously, DJ Wagner, Aaron Bradshaw, both absolute studs. Bradshaw was unbelievable. But uh, Billy Richmond, I was very, very impressed with. Um, jump in the passing lanes, super athletic, um, top 150 recruit next year. And then uh, Josh just texted me yesterday that he picked up an offer from yeah. Kentucky. So yep. I think you're going to see the name Billy Richmond kind of rising up in the rankings. And then uh, last but not least, also from the John Wall, have to give a shout out to our boys at Combine. Um, Silas Demery Jr., Rakeese Passmore, uh, Coach Michael Wright. Um, again, just a top-notch program. The way they warm up is like an NBA team. Um, just 
the way they do everything. They they come with a professional approach. I was super impressed. Um, Rakis played great. Silas, you know, is is going to be one of the best freshman guards in the country next year. Super excited to have you know just talked to those guys, been around them, all that good stuff. So, those are my shout outs this week. Those are good ones. Absolutely, shout out our guys at Combine, man. Uh, super happy for them. Continue to big things. Hopefully, Rakis again continues to take his time and ends up in the right landing spot for him, which he's got a number of offers out there. And we know Silas is going to kill it out in USC. Perfect opportunity for him. Perfect fit in Andy Enfield's system where he's going to let him play a little bit and run. And so I'm, I'm glad you were able there to experience that. Again, shout out to Bellerman and the whole staff, Coach Davenport on down. Tremendous. Our guy, Rick Bozich, for being such a amazing accommodating host and person to us when he doesn't have to be when he's been such an icon in this industry for such a long time like i said we're working on getting him on the show so that's super exciting cannot wait to pick his brain about louisville kentucky indiana kind of the tri-state region here and much more about his career so be on the lookout for that but fellas wrapping up the first episode of 2023 I promise you, we know this deep in our heart, and you guys out there in ECB family know this, that this is going to be the biggest and best year yet. 2022 was absolutely amazing to us. 2023 is going to be even better. Conference play is in full swing now. Got a lot of great games. No more cupcakes. It's all contenders versus pretenders from here on out. We're on the road to March. It's going to be a sprint from here on out. We said a few months ago this is a marathon. We're in sprint season, baby, for the next couple months till we hit March. So stay locked in. Stay in tune for everything college basketball. We got you covered from head to toe, from A to Z, on the Facebook, on the Twitter, and here, of course, on the podcast. But wrapping up the first show of 2023 for Peyton, for Phil, and for Corey, who's not here with us today. We appreciate you guys. We love you. And we cannot wait for what 2023 has in store for us. Here's a toast to you guys. And until next week on episode 129, we hope you guys enjoy your week and we will catch you down the road.